Hey everybody, this is Keats Rainwater on Designated Drummer. I am your Designated Drummer today. Welcome to the podcast. And I have with me today a very special guest, somebody that I've known for a pretty good few years, Nick Minema. He is our agent with Lone Star and other people as well, um, and has been doing this for, how long have you been doing it now? 15 years I've been doing the agent side of things, and prior to that, you know, I played in a band right out of high school. So I've, I've been in music since 1998 or 99. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. And uh, what I don't really like about talking to you is that you're from Canada, and of course my daughter lives in Canada, and so I kind of consider myself half Canadian, even though I'm not, <laughs> because uh, my daughter is... Canadian and American, and so I go up there all the time, and I used to have an apartment there, and I have a life in Canada, yeah. so I kind of consider myself half Canadian, even though legally I'm not. And we have the vice versa outside of the legal, as is I just became an American citizen, but you know the great thing between the two countries is you, you get to keep your citizenship, so I'm a dual citizen. Oh. I became an American citizen in September of this year um, after uh, I was down on a green card for many, many years, and as soon as it became available to me, you know, I, I took that avenue. But I, I feel the same way that I'm, you know, I, I, I love the parts of America that I wanted to strive to get yeah. here. Um, but I also love that, you know, I spent my first, you know, better part of 26 years in Canada. Yeah. Okay. And now how long have you actually been? Well, first of all, we're going to get into, um, in a minute, we'll get into what an agent does and all sure. that kind of stuff for those who may not know. Sure. Um, but uh, you have been doing the agent thing up in Canada. Now, how long have you been like in Nashville? In Nashville, I've lived here for 11 years now. Moved 11 here years. 11 years ago from the Toronto office of, of the agency that I was with at the time. I opened up the office here of that agency uh, 11 years ago. Okay, so I got to tell you, we're at the band cave here and you're going to hear some weird noises out there every once in a while. We're right here by uh, Hermitage Avenue and uh, it's pretty noisy and there's railroad tracks right across the thing. So. Forgive me if the noise is louder than we are, but uh, hopefully it's more. Well, at least it's not the ice storm. The last time I was here, I left and there was, remember that, not ice storm, oh, but right. it was the, the hail that came down yes. when you guys were doing the rehearsals. And, and I had my boy with me, and all took that. out the transformer and, and, you know, literally sounded like our vehicle was being attacked when we left. And I had my son with me. So oh it's gosh. way uh, 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 yeah. not as noisy as that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was, a, we were rehearsing or something, right? Weren't yeah. We rehearsing yeah. For, for the beginning of the, the tour. Beginning yeah. of the tour. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, but uh, Nick, you, you used to be with an agency. I hope we can talk about this. Sure, UTA, got, yeah, absolutely. UTA yeah, it's it it was a it was a it was a development. So I was with a right out of playing with my band. You know, there just came a time where you realize that you know people around you are getting record deals. People around you are getting those things, and then sometimes you realize that they're getting them. They're having success, and it's not what you thought it was going to be. And there came this kind of transition in my life where I was playing in the band full time, um, but I realized that there was a roadblock coming, you know, down the road. Okay, and and yeah. the guys that I had playing in the band were seasoned musicians, but they were at the tail end of their touring careers. And I saw the hardships, the beautiful parts of their life as well, but the hardships uh, of, of not really making it yeah. um, that comes into play. And I made a decision that I, I didn't want to get out of music, um, but I knew that me being in a band and me being a performer was likely going to be limited to the next couple years and that I needed to figure out a way how to transition. And that's a little bit of a longer story on my agent was the actual person who, who convinced me that, well, not convinced me, but advised me that agency is... is one of the more consistent ways to make a living yeah. uh, in the music business, which is so uncertain. Um, being an agent was a little bit more certain. Yeah. So we're going to talk in a minute about, uh, about what an agent is and sure. what an versus like a, a manager or something like that. Yeah. Edit right here. Hold on one second. I'm just going to turn the circuit. That's okay. On yeah. I'll wait till that turns up. Sure. And uh, that's so noisy in here. <laughs> it's hard to do anything. But it's great. There it is. There we go. Okay. Okay, we're back in. Um, so um, help clear up uh, the definition of what an agent is. Now, you're a booking agent. 
uh, for bands and yeah. uh, that kind of thing, uh, as opposed to like a manager or something like that. Um, yeah, it, you're you're really a liaison between management and and the band um, or the artist for live performances. Now, agents have taken on a a wider range as of the past, you know, call it. 10 or 15 years, you know, I, I like to refer to myself as an agent, um, not necessarily a booking agent, um, but I'm, I'm there to advise as much as, as, as is needed in every individual client. Um, but the main job of an agent is to uh, find opportunities and negotiate the opportunities for live performance um, or live appearance. I see. So yeah. you, you, and I, and now a lot of people maybe not know this, but uh, there are different levels of when you book a band. When you have a band, you have an agent that that yep. represents the band. Then there's also a promoter that puts on these big shows, and they're usually somebody that uh, finds the venue. They find the they have an idea of what kind of music it's going to be, and they sure. start looking at bands and pricing them. They they set up the staging. They pay for all the food and uh, catering and stuff that's going to go on, and all the security yeah. and everything. Have they're, you ever been involved in that? Have no, you ever I've never promoted a show. N- never and and purposely. Um, it's a nightmare, isn't it? Well, not only is it is it some, you need a certain you need a certain mindset to do it. You know, and I, I've said. And this might change later in my life, but I said I'm a seller, not a buyer. And yeah. I've said that m- my whole, you know, pretty much my whole career, you know, even when I was in a band, I had an agent. I was still always selling myself. I'm a seller, not a buyer. Um, I, I, I like constructing deals. Um, but going back to my agent, my agent, when I was looking to transition out of performing live, said the consistency of being an agent is uh, there's a realistic chance that you can make a living. Uh, and I've been very fortunate. I've, I've not only made a great living, but, but I, had, I have had amazing experiences and continue to grow. Um, but more so than a manager, more so than label, more so than actually being in the band or in radio, if you are a, a small market agent, you know, booking local bands, there's still money that is generated and you get a percentage of that money that's generated where management, you know, you can have less clients, you know, in order to maintain them than, than agency agency. You can have, you know, more clients and be able to just on a business level, um, have a more consistent income, even if you're a small regional agent or if you're the biggest agent, uh, representing the biggest talent in the world, the range is a lo- because we're not taking care of all the other things that the manager does, the I record see, yeah. deal, the publicity, all of the things that go into that, that's a manager's responsibility. And they get paid on all of those things. Yeah. Agents primarily get paid on the work that they do. It's a I work see. for hire working scenario. I always thought of a manager as sort of like the hub of the wheel. They are in the center and you've got the bands and all the sound people and all the everything financial. And it all trickles into if somebody needs to know something or somebody there's a problem, it all comes back to the hub of the wheel. You're always the manager who yes. sort of uh, controls all that stuff. Yeah, and, and that's very much the way that it is. Now, you know, different teams and different clients have different perspectives of that. There are some, you know, I've always been a, I want to have a relationship with my client, even though I know that the manager is, as you say, the hub, the general manager, the quarterback, uh-huh. what, what, whatever term you want to define it with. I want to have a relationship because I want to know what their needs are. I also want to know, and I, I've got great advice and learned from great mentors, is I also want the artist to understand where I'm coming from and know what my vision for them is. Um, so although I think it's more, um, more now than it used to be, agents having relationships with the actual artists, um, and the manager, knowing that the manager, that the buck stops there and the decision is made there, you know, that's where my comfort zone is. I don't really operate well being isolated, which is, you know, well, our agent's over there, agent bring to manager, manager bring to band. I'm completely open to that working scenario, but I want to have a relationship with the artist. Yeah, right. Um, how do you feel like it, you do your job better having a relationship with the artist? Is it like, do you give them input of songs that may work? Or oh, no, no, no. I'm talking, thing? I'm talking the, the it, well, in sets, yes. You know, because I, I think I have a, a, a different view 
because I'm not a business guy. I was a guy who played in a band and had to entertain people for four sets a night. And if I only played things that I liked, I would not get hired back to play that particular club or, you know, the staff would go, you know, they would kind of lose the momentum at the tail yeah. end of the night if you were to me. I'm very much, you know, because of that experience that I had early in my my life and my career, I can go to a show and say to a band afterwards, hey, there's a lull in the middle here. And I don't think it comes off as adversarial as it would if somebody hadn't been on that situation of standing on a stage and walking, watching people walk either to the bar or out the door. Yeah. I, I had a necessity in the band that I played in right out of high school, which was if there was five people at the beginning of the night, I never let them leave. I turned yeah. five into 20, 20 into 100. And by the time it was done, we had 400 people there, but the first five stayed. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't this revolving door. And so not in musical choices for records, but as for if I see something that's not particularly working in the set and the show, I'll voice my opinion, and that doesn't mean that it gets taken, yeah. but I'll voice it from the point of view of I want to make sure that the artist knows the, my input on how we can make what they're doing on stage even more reliable for the audience, even more um, uh, of, of an experience, because there is a one-dimensional thing there that, that does get missed. You know, the artist sees everybody at the front, but sometimes the people in the back they don't have the same experience. And yeah. so for that, I like to share that input. But to answer your question, it's more about what are the likes or dislikes of, of gigs and being on the road and what are the idiosyncrasies with, with artists. Some prefer not playing outdoors, some prefer playing indoors. And I think when you have those relationships with the actual artist on top of, you can have a clear communication to have an understanding of why you're doing something as opposed to it being s siphoned through a second party, which would be in some cases the manager, right? Yeah. Well, gotcha. I talked to the agent and the agent said this, well, if there's a problem or something to celebrate, we all have that conversation as a team and your manager, particularly, you know, I enjoy a majority of the relationships that I have are at that high level. There's a few that just haven't worked out because they, they weren't there, but your manager particularly is so cooperative and collaborative in, in the way that we do things. Um, his idea and goal and mine for your band specifically is what's the best thing for the band? It doesn't need the best thing for Corey. It doesn't need the best thing for Nick. What's the best thing for the band? And, and he's incredibly collaborative that way and very yeah. open. That's cool. Um, one of the questions um, I was going to ask you, what, what did you play when you were uh, out of high school? What I, instrument? I, well, we, we did a good way of cheating this. So I played rhythm guitar and I sang in the band, but I was all about entertaining. So I figured out how to play three songs on bass and three or four songs on drums so that every set we would have a moment in the set where the band would kind of shift yeah. and the drummer would play bass and the bass player would play lead and somebody That's would cool. sing. And it was a dynamic. It wasn't tight by any stretch, um, but we mainly played bars and honky-tonks and those kind of places. By the time we did that, people were already drinking, and we wanted to separate ourselves yeah. on the entertaining factor. But I was mainly a rhythm guitar player, and, and you know, I'm quoting a non-quoting a singer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me of when you said you switch instruments like that, the band, that the drummer from the Black Keys, Pat, Pat yeah. is his name, I think. I can't remember his last name, but uh, he put a band together after, you know, when the Black Keys were kind of taking a break called Drummer. That was the name of the band. And it was all drummers, but they all play different instruments and yeah. they switch yeah. every song or every set. I think every set or some, or every gig or something like that, they switch. Yeah. So the drummer from the last gig or whatever was probably the guitar player on this one. And then the bass player is now playing drums and yeah. that kind of thing. It's again, going back to that entertaining thing, you know, yeah. and I'm sure that we'll get into it in, in later conversation, but uh, the audience is really important, right? I mean, it would be like you're getting a different band every time you watch them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because and, it's and not it the would same feel drummer. Different. Yeah. It's yeah. the same, the different singer and it's a different guitar player. Yeah. But it's all the same guys. Yeah. I hadn't heard that, concert. but that, that, that sounds incredibly entertaining to me. Yeah. It sounds like, funny. like it would make you want to come out uh, again, like mm -hmm. the next night or the next show or whatever. It's like, well, let's yeah. see who's, who they, how they switched it up this time, you yeah. know, and see, you know, the music would be completely different. Yeah. I, I agree. But uh, so one of the questions, um, what do you think has changed over the years as far as like, so back in the day, uh, and obviously I'm talking about pre-COVID, like not, not with COVID, but um, uh, back in the day, like in, let's say in the, the late 90s when you're the mid to late 90s when you started to now, I mean, what, what do you think has changed? 
Well, the same thing that a lot of artists that came up when when you guys came up is, you know, that time in the clubs and the touring in the Jeep Cherokee and the trailer and the seven nights a week, you know, that that weeded out a lot of mediocrity because, you know, you could be a great songwriter and not a great performer. Right. But there was very few artists and you can go Lone Star, Garth Brooks, Clay Walker, the, the Clint Black, go down the, the list of like that really beautiful time, specifically yeah. in country music, where everybody came out of that circuit. Everybody played multiple nights. And not only did you get your chops together, you also learned how to play with an audience. I think, right. uh, and I, I think I've said this in other places, I think so much is put on artists now to be perfect. Right. And the show's gotta be perfect. And, you know, we're expecting people, whether they come off a TV show or TikTok, who have not really performed more than 10, 15 times in their life on a real professional stage, to then take the greatest leap and be on this big national stage and expect them just to knock it out of the park. And there are examples of artists who have been able to do that. But most people need to develop. And I think that the hardships that come, and you would know them all, from that kind of touring and that kind of business structure, that hardship really does deliver a more... Um, uh, delivered product, if entertaining, you will. entertaining kind of, product, yeah, the experience right? and yeah. the yeah, the history and experience. And just is, knowing, you know, yeah. and, and every every one of my idols who I just love and I'm either a fan of or have been able to work with, they all have those stories of like you know playing and there's seven people there, right? And you play to seven people and it's demoralizing, but you got to figure out a way how to entertain seven people because yeah. if you can entertain seven people, you for sure can do seven thousand, especially when they're ready to see you and they've come to see you that that break in that wall of somebody coming to see you versus they're at a place that you happen to be playing that development doesn't exist any much as more and I think you know the club system as as it were it, it doesn't exist anymore and I think that's a problem I don't know how to solve that problem but I think the very same things that people found hardships in are the reasons why you know you're I can whether it's your band or or many others you know there is a professionalism and the show is taken seriously this isn't hey we're just going to go up and play these songs and expect people to keep on showing up it's not that it's how do we make sure that we're delivering an amazing show for these people so that they're not just coming for the songs right and there are some bands where they just come for the songs right yeah. jam bands or there are artists like that but but most of that can be tempered by they have the music at home. Why is somebody going to be drawn out to pay their hard-earned money to come see a band? Well, it's because they're expecting something different. Yeah. And and I do believe that that not being there um, has been shown in the past 15 years. You right. know, with with artists who can really deliver a show. The audience, and I say this as much as I possibly can, the audience is not there to entertain the band. Right. You know, oh, and you hear it from time to time, an artist will come off stage and go. Well, that was a crappy audience. And I, you know, right, I, yeah. I say the same thing. And I have, since I played in a band with my guys going, oh, that, that was kind of lame. I was like, that's our job. That's your job. They didn't pay to yeah. entertain themselves. You were paid to entertain them. And I, I just, I stick by that philosophy. Yeah, that's true. Um, one question I had. Uh, so uh, a, a lot of my podcast here is geared toward or is, to, is talking to young musicians who yeah. are trying to make their way and trying to figure out how to make a living at playing and making that transition. What um, would you say is a good advice for a young musician uh, from an agent standpoint? Uh, say if a young musician is putting a band together or they've got some kind of thing going, what's, what's a good way to approach an agent and to kind of get them involved in the process? Or do you, are you even interested as an agent in doing that sometimes, finding young talent? I know you're not a talent scout. Sure. But sometimes uh, you may see somebody that uh, approaches you or something and says, you know, we've got this band. I'd like you to see us. And yeah. maybe if you, we could open up for somebody or book us somehow, just want to get you in. In, in the process. I, I think there are different layers to it. The, the, the first layer is, you know, where do, where do you live, right? If where you live, you know, and this is, this is kind of a, a, a walk around to Nashville because lots of people move to Nashville and therefore it's a little different. But w when somebody moves to Nashville, one would hope that in their hometown where their mother, father, brother, sister, all friends are, can you go play a little auditorium and do 200 people? You know, like I get asked all the time for people to open up for you guys all over the country. 
and I love locals being on because I mm-hmm. think that creates a great environment, you know, for, for growth. Yeah. Um, but I will ask, you know, can they draw? And unilaterally, I'll get told, oh, yeah, no, no, they do really well here. And I said, but can they draw a ticket? $5, $10, $15, $20. When they play the bar, is it just free? Or when they play the event, is it just free? You know, because if you can't draw people, You call that soft ticket? Do you, do you use those terms like soft ticket? Yeah, hard ticket, and soft hard ticket. ticket. Yeah. yeah, you know, like, you know, a, a band that does really well, you know, I just came back from, from visiting an artist on tour and we had an opening act for the last two shows and I won't mention, but they were to be the biggest thing in these two markets. And we get there and, and you know, the, you could tell that their audience didn't show up because the difference is there was a... 50 to 75 dollar ticket to come see this show oh, right. okay. that they were opening for and people are used to seeing them for free so there's Gosh, an element yeah. of that that goes into it but i but i really do go back to like these couple of spots is like can you draw some people in your hometown um and if you can regionally can you draw you know some people have you built up a little bit of a network um and then you know are you out working as hard as you can to play or rehearse you know my my greatest advice to any musician or anybody getting into the business outside of musicians is you know i had to work multiple hours on top of a 40 45 hour work week in order to achieve moving the ball down the field in in my career um, so what I normally would ask an artist or a musician is, are you putting 40 hours in? And unilaterally, Keech, they'll say yes. But then when you dissect it, yeah. they're not. They're not. Right? Yeah. And when you look at, you know, what it takes to uh, separate yourself from the herd, it's work ethic. I won't mention names because they, they mm-hmm. say this themselves, but there are many superstar artists who are technically not the best singer, technically not the best looking, technically not the best this, that, or the other yeah. thing. But you know what everybody at the top has in common? Work ethic. Yeah. Every right. single person at the top of any industry, but specifically ours, work ethic. You cannot outwork the Kenny Chesneys, the Garth Brooks. Yeah. You can't outwork That's them. That's true. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean if you work really hard that you're going to achieve that kind of success. But the difference between making it and not making it for a long period of time, there are little flashes that right. happen. Yeah. But having a career is work ethic. Yeah. You have to put in the time. I think when I was starting out as a drummer, it wasn't so much I put the work in. I did practice a lot and that kind of thing. But it was more of just the stubborn-minded determination. You know, I was just going to be a drummer no matter what it took. And it was more of like a waiting game. It's like uh, if I was in between gigs, uh, I would just wait for the phone to ring. I would talk to people and call, and I would go out and see bands and things like that. But I wouldn't say enough to to, to equal a 40-hour week. But... I, my passion was in it, and yeah. I stayed with it, and I got to be that drummer that people would call when they needed a good drummer, you know, and I, what I'd always wanted to be. I, 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 I bet you it was more than you thought, though, because when you will something to happen, you're putting something out there, right? Whether it's in all the conversations you have, whether it's in your mindset, you know, there's more to 40 hours than 40 hours behind a kit. There's right. more to 40 hours than 40 hours practicing guitar, 40 hours. It's the mindset of, willing and working for things to happen so yeah. the same way that you described what you described i think you put more time than you would have thought per week into that i guess it has to be right because i mean be. that's yeah. where i am now you know exactly where i've been for yeah i'll be i'll be coming up on 40 years next year will be for my 40th year as a professional drummer as like making a living at playing drums yeah it's and it, it, but at no point in time have you and 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 i just know this without asking it at no point in time has your focus or your passion for it waned it can be difficult you can have years days months you you know where you go oh this is really challenging especially with having the success that your band had and then knowing that any kind of long-term success in any field is going to comes with peaks and valleys right it's going to come with peaks and valleys um but you know, you would have quit a long time ago if you didn't have passion to do it. You yeah. just would have. That you know. Speaking of peaks and valleys, how did you, as an agent, deal with the whole COVID thing? I mean, how did you, how did you navigate through that? It was, it was. You, you know, I consider myself really lucky. You know, I parted ways with the company that I was with, UTA, at the early part of this year, um, and after many, many years together, you know, we just parted ways, um, and you know, the the reality of it is they need the credit for me personally as a as a business person getting through that 
are fabulous company. They took care of their, their people and their staff and their agents at a high level, I would say higher than anyone else. Um, and, and the reasoning behind that was we need to make sure that you're secure so that we can, you know, have you doing the work for our clients who from all spectrums of the entertainment business were scared shitless. Yeah. Um, and it, it makes it a little easier to convey positivity and work hard for a plan for your clients if you're not insecure yourself. So I would say, even though I'm not there anymore, that the main reason getting through it was there was such stability at, yeah. at the company that I was with for myself personally, for, for me and my responsibilities as a human being making a living. That said, I never stopped working. You know, I tried to find every opportunity for every client that was willing to work, whether it was streaming, whether it was shows in markets that were socially distanced, and sometimes just being a little bit of a therapist on a chair. You know, I'm, I'm not a pee on your leg and tell you it's raining kind of guy, but I do believe that, you know, through history, I love history, this was going to come to an end. And we're still not through the end of it, but clients would call or managers would call and they would be looking for positivity even though you had nothing really to give them and I think a lot of what my role and responsibility was again finding opportunities to help bridge that gap but also reassuring people that at the end of the day this was going to come to an end yeah. and we were going to get back to not a new normal but normal and we're not back to normal yet we're still at new normal but we're going to get back to normal. That's really it, felt great out there on the road. I mean, we, yeah. we, it's not shocking, but it's surprising how quickly people, crowds came out to see us play. I think they're just so ready for entertainment yeah. uh, that they'll just come out in droves. And it's been, uh, you know, I, I, I'm hoping that everybody's staying safe. And I assume they are, uh, you know, because a lot of venues don't let anybody in unless they've got their vaccination card and that kind of thing. And, uh, and, some, and some venues don't. You know, those are market by market, state yeah. by state, venue by venue. Um, but, you know, one of the great things about living in the country and now being a citizen is, you know, we get to make decisions for ourselves in America, right? Yeah, and, right. That, and that's a beautiful thing, right? Sometimes it can be detrimental, but I get, to, I get to make decisions for myself and for my family on what we do and what we don't do. And I think as a lion's share of it, you know, not to be extreme, I think it has been very positive. And people, what we did learn is virtual reality might play a part in entertainment moving forward and you know i'm not uh, smart enough or 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 technologically uh, uh, intelligent enough to say anything more than what i'm about to but there is nothing that will replace being in an auditorium with a thousand people or sixty thousand people a field a theater or an yeah. arena and experiencing something not only with people that you came with whether it's a wife or a girlfriend friends or whatever but also a group of people who you don't know and that yeah. experience like-minded individuals like-minded that individuals. share the same and with a, with a vr mask on and and your laptop and even great headphones that's not the same experience doesn't mean that that's going to go away and doesn't mean yeah. that that's not an important part of the business but i think what we did learn from having a young child to not being you know young myself or 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 you know, I'm, 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 let's call it, I'm halfway through my life, okay, you know, right. right? I'm, I'm 41 <laughs> years old. I'm at least halfway. You're not farting dust yet, but I, you exactly. are, uh, you, know, I, you know, not it, a young puppy. I grunt either. when I get out of the car, <laughs> you know, so, um, but that's what we did find. And that is encouraging. So the people who are, are, are trepidatious about going out and not ready to, or, or not comfortable, when they decide that they're comfortable, their experience will be even more enhanced. Yeah, I think there's just something about being at a live show, what we call putting butts in seats. Um, being there, breathing the same air, hopefully it's safe air. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, in the same room as uh, this great band that you idolize. Or sporting so, event, yeah. whatever it is, not to get off top, but, but you know. When, yeah, when, uh, you know, it's I, happening right there in front of you versus like it could have, you know, maybe they say it's live or virtual reality or whatever. It was probably... You're not there. I mean, you're not, you're not really there. there. You know, I watched the whole World Series this yeah. year in the playoffs and with great excitement and was really thrilled to see Atlanta win. My son loves the Braves. But we were at the Milwaukee-Atlanta um, game in Atlanta where they clinched, and that environment was never replaced by watching it on TV. Even right. when they won the World Series, the, the environment of when they won that game and 
you know, whether I should be saying or not, yeah. slapping hands of people that you don't sure. know, then quickly sanitizing, <laughs> then slapping again, that experience will live with me for the rest of my life. Because yeah. you're uh, actually there when it happened, like there, right there. You know, There's and, something and, about And that. that's what the experience of when your band pulls into Peoria or Calgary or plays Nashville or Jupiter, Florida, there's an experience that exists, whether there's 1,500 people or 15,000 people, that experience, that experience exists and it stays with them and stays with you. And that connection weaves through life. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, so I guess I may have already asked you this, but how do you see um, the future of not just live music, but as an agent? Like your, uh, your role in the thing and an agent's role in the thing, is that pretty much going to stay the same? Do we still need agents in the same capacity that we I think we've... you know not not to create some job security but I think you need agents more than ever right um, you know th- not to say that you don't need other uh, members of a of an artist team um, but you know going out and doing that live space and creating longevity right you know I love you know and I and I hope I'm I'm not overextending um, but I love developing Um, but I haven't been the strongest at it. You know, I haven't been the strongest at taking an artist that doesn't really have a whole lot going on and building them into a great success. And whether that's my mindset or whether that's the opportunities that have, have, I've created in my 40 to 50 hours a week, I don't know. But where I really do love, um, is, is taking, you know, an artist, you know, such as your band, which have had great successes. I feel like I came into your life at the exact same time that you needed me. Um, And I feel that, you know, not to get behind the curtain, sometimes the passion between, you know, a band and their agent can dwane. And it just can go years and years. And then you can get to a point where maybe it's not as as passionate on the agent front. And, And then the band can take that responsibility on themselves going, well, you know, we're not having as many hits anymore and we're not doing this when I've always believed that that's BS. I've always believed that if you are passionate and I have a a great friend and mentor that is at my former company, I won't say his name, but I also won't say the band. There's a band that in the early 90s was the biggest thing in the whole world for a moment in time, and then they weren't. And he treats them now as if they were. And that's the passion that an agent has to have for a client. And I believe that that's where my strong suits are. It translates over into the client, like uh, to the promoter, right? To the promoter and also to the the client to not get down on themselves. You've been doing it a long time, right? Um, You can have good shows and bad shows, but, you know, when it comes to audience uh, attendance. But the reality of it is if you know that there's a purpose for what you're doing and you know that there's somebody behind the scenes going, no, I've got this and there's a plan and here's how we we keep the momentum going. And this is not a one year plan. It's a 10 year plan. I love those. Like that's that's what gets me up and, and driven every morning is is how do I make a difference in these men and women's lives, um, knowing that they're doing the hard work out there. I need to do the hard work here so that they are just as passionate on their end of it as I am on mine. And I also have said that I I will not work with somebody who I work harder than they do. Well, I have to say, when we first met you at UTA, there was a difference about you that that really stood out. And we've had a lot of agents through the years and stuff and and had okay relationships with them, you know, it's kind of, but it was kind of at arm's length. It seemed like, you know, it was kind of a working relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, we always got along with them good and everything but it and then it, it would just get to where we felt like they were just kind of like answering the phone you know and not really reaching out to try and uh make things happen and they were just kind of like oh well we've got a few bands here uh lone star's one of them you know that kind of thing but yeah. when we met you there was just a difference about you there was a feeling of like you were you were gung-ho and you were like in the lone star yeah i think you even told us one time you said i'm in the lone star business now yeah and i'm going to reach out anything that's going on with you guys Outside of Lone Star, whatever, let me know if there's anything you need. You know, I'm here 24-7 for you guys, and I'm going to make sure you guys stay working and that kind of – just there was a comfort zone of, about you than when we first met you. It's interesting that you bring that back. You know, there is something about being from Canada, right? There's a reason why uh, the folks that run Live Nation are Canadian. I, you know, before I moved down here, I was making, you know, an incredible living in Canada. But there is a ceiling. You know, um, it is the size of America with the population of California. Right, right. Um, 
there is no way to become successful in Canada without grinding. It's impossible. I was shocked to learn when we first started making records and getting gold and platinum records and stuff uh, that that the, the breakdown between a 10%. Canadian gold, let's say gold or platinum record, is 10%. basically a, a whole decimal point down from mm-hmm. what it is in the U.S. A million to a hundred thousand. I couldn't believe it. F- uh, you know, five hundred thousand. Yeah, and I asked 50. why. They said, "Well, there's just not that many people in Canada to buy records and to yeah. you know yeah. everything's scaled down. Everything's scaled down, but to scale." you know, those, those numbers make sense. Um, but taking that mentality and going here, you know, I had great mentors, um, Jack Ross, Ralph James, um, this amazing guy who hired me, who had no business hiring me. Like I should not have been an agent. And he was just a wonderful man named Doug Kirby at a company called live tour artists. It was in the, I don't, I don't even think it was legal. Like we were working yeah. in the basement of his house. I'm pretty sure it wasn't zoned. Well, he must've seen something in you, you know, that, yeah. That yeah. We and, saw, and, right? I, and I, and I hope he did. And you know, he's since passed uh, and I, and I think he did, but, but I also know that the mentality, if you're going to be a success in Canada, yeah, I know the thing is if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. But in, in our business, like, I think if you can make it in Canada, you can make it anywhere, yeah, right. you know, cause it's hard. And I was making a great living and I was, you know, I, I was at, you know, I feel like for where I was at as the an top agent, my, as or, an agent, or, yeah. Oh, yeah, as an agent. Um, but then you take that and you take the landmass of America and then you put another 90% of people in it, but you don't change your mindset. Right. I, you know, the phone, it has the buttons so that you can call out too. Yeah. Right. Like you just don't have to receive the <laughs> yeah. calls. Right. Sometimes it's a little hard. Which we were wondering for a while there with our other agent that we had before, if, uh, what is their phone not dial out? I mean, yeah, no, it doesn't. You know? <laughs> and, and, and again, uh, what I would say, there's a, 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 a great guy that has been a, a great friend of mine for many years. I represent his name's David Clayton Thomas. He was in blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, I'm a big and, fan. And when I represented David and we're now really close friends, um, and I don't represent him anymore, but when I did, when he moved back to Canada, you know, he had a great line about agencies and I believe this to be true because all the agencies are good. Right. But he said, it's not the logo at the top of the card. It's the name in the middle. And if you've got a great name in the middle, you can be at any agency and uh, have great okay. success. And I really believe that to be true. Um, if you are, are, are just at one of the bigger agencies and you don't have somebody out there working hard for you every day, you're not going to get the results, but you can also be, you know, at a boutique agency, which you guys left UTA and came with me. Yeah. I now 100% have a boutique agency, but within that agency, we're working every day for our clients, yeah. right? The name in the middle is what, what really matters. And, and, and I've never forgot that. And he must've told me that over 20 years ago, but I've never forgot that it, because you would be asked, you know, well, why go with your agency instead of this other agency? Right. And I would always try to skate around the fact that, by the way, all these agencies are really good. They wouldn't have success and be around like they are if they weren't good. You've just got to find the person within that agency who gets up every day and goes, I'm in the so-and-so yeah, business. Yeah, right. I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. No matter what agency it is, it's your date, your person. Because with every company we've been with, we've had like eight, an agent, basically, that's just responsible for us. Yeah. Does it always work like that? Or do, uh, do, do some agencies have multiple people that work for, say, one band? Uh, multi- yes, I think they do. But, you know, you've got a responsible agent, which is the, your relationship with the agency comes through your responsible agent or your respons- responsible agent. Sometimes there's two or three. Is it because of the knowledge you have of the band, like what they're worth, what the, you know, things that the selling points, bullet points? That yes and no. There's a territorial system at most agencies, not at all, but uh, they right. become the point person to then go to the territory guys and girls and say, um, hey, we're looking for dates in the Northwest. Well, your responsible agent doesn't book the whole country. Um, they would piece off to some of the territorial see, people. Yeah. And in piecing off, that's where the passion comes through, right? Yeah. If you're driving and, and your name is being brought up in the routing meetings and you're being pushed, well, you're going to have more results. Where I wanted to get away from that a little bit was that Jerry Maguire moment, you know, less clients, more detail. Right. Um, and who knows how that ends right now? It's, it's tremendous, I think for me and tremendous for the clients. Um, but I'm really enjoying, um, the less is more, um, side of it. Uh, and I got really lucky that, you know, uh, uh, all but one of my clients moved, uh, when I moved. Well, you know, uh, ever since we, you left UTA and you've been with us, we, we've noticed that the, the quality of the gigs has been amazing, you know, because we were with another agency for, 
I think about a year. I won't say the agency's name, but it was, uh, we'd left William Morris and we were with this new agency. Um, and it just seemed like the gigs were kind of like, uh, yeah. backyard kind of like that, just not the best quality. Not, I'm not literally somebody's backyard, but I just mean the feeling was like, Lowest they were like low on the, yeah. yeah, kind of low on the thing. Yeah. Uh, low on the radar kind of gigs and low quality, um, as to how far they were and how the routing wasn't there, you know, that kind of thing. And then, but with, you know, with your company, since you broke off from UTA, it's just been like great venues, great theaters, great uh, things. So kudos to you guys. Well, you know, I, I really thank you for that. Um, I, I thought we were, do, I, you know, I do think when, when you came to UTA from your former agency, I, I, I thought we really stepped it up. Um, but then in, in, in parting ways and now having my own agency and my own team, I really feel like, you know, we can dive in and go, no, yeah. we can't have this. No, we need this. Um, that's something that we're not going to do anymore. Even though that makes sense now, does it make sense for the future? We have a little bit more time to kind of deep in, yeah. uh, like deep dive, you know, the needs. Do you have offers that, uh, that come through that you, that you turned down? That, that would have been kind of like with those I was talking about, oh, those kind sure. of like dog yeah, gigs, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. You know, and they're, uh, oddly enough, the, the, you know, one one person's trash is another treasure, right? Of course. You know, there's there's a level of, of, of standard of, of show that you feel is like, hey, that's the caliber that we want to be at, that and above. Well, some of the shows that you're talking about, there's also, you know, a client uh, or, or a potential band out there that goes, well, we're here. That's that gig is better than the gigs that we're playing. Everybody has that yeah. that line yeah. um, of of where their levels are. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, sometimes when you're in a band for the length of time that you've been in a band, y you you can get to a place where like we changed the marketing this year and we changed like the promotional materials that we use and the ad mats. Well, we, we changed that, you know, one, cause there was a member change, um, that worked out way into the band's benefit. But course, secondarily, yeah. sometimes you can just go, but that's what we've done. And it takes somebody, a new eye to go, well, why don't we try it like this? And I think a lot of the results have been the band's willingness to make change. Yeah, I really do. Right. Yeah. You know, um, one thing I was going to ask you um, with social media and all that stuff is um, how has that changed your uh, not not only your day to day uh, business with booking bands and being an agent and all that, but just the industry and like that? Has it changed your workflow any or is it better, worse? Um, I, you know, I think streaming is really important. Um, I think it's all really important depending on the demo that you're going for. But let's talk about the demo that 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 you and I work on. Right. Yeah. You know, the the the. Lone Star, the band that you're in, you know, there's a demographic where I think, you know, Facebook and Instagram or whatever Facebook's called now, Instagram, I think it plays a role for sure. I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, but, you know, does it play a larger role for a TikTok star or for right. a, a, an artist that has the demographic that is under the age of 21? Well, of course it does. And so I think every scenario is a little different. Um, but but streaming has become a yeah. really great source of um, of of promotional material um, where radio still plays a large part and recurrence still play a large part. You know, when you can say to a promoter, hey, the streams are up X over Y over this year and you can show that there's a momentum. Some of those numbers come in very, very handy. You know, how do you um, how, like if you had a band of a regional band that, that had a lot of streams and they were sort of new, but there's a kind of a, a audience, you know, there's maybe a few hundred thousand people that know who they are or sure. something like that. How do you scale what how do you figure out how much a band is worth in a given sort of gig? Is it doesn't matter what the gig is? Does it matter uh, what the uh, like uh, the band success, like a, their streams? How do you come up with the formula? It, Every scenario is different and supply and oh, sorry, I just kicked the table. Um, uh, supply and demand, uh -huh. uh, uh, the artists um, uh, necessary needs for, you know, because we all look at music as a, you know, playing in a band, but, but there's a business behind it, right? right? You know, buses, trucks, personnel, that all costs money. And there is truly a nut, whether you're the biggest artist in the world playing stadiums every night 
or you're a local regional band playing clubs, there's a certain amount of money that is need to cover the expenses that is needed to cover the expenses before you can get in. And it could depend on the production of the show. The like production if it's, of, absolutely. If it's some uh, TikTok star that relies on a lot of video screens and absolutely. Uh, or a large band or something like that, if it's Willie, it's like someone that's like Willie Nelson that requires eight. Team musicians on stage or something. Sure. That's what you're kind of talking about. Yeah, the so needs. then there becomes a, well, we can't work unless it's this. And then you go to market and see if it's there, right? But a lot of times, and this isn't a, like a perfect science, you know, a lot of times it's based on what your hard ticket, which is you go into a venue. Um, and a lot of this is put on the promoter, right? You've got, and, and we work with them. You work with great promoters who know their market and know how to sell every ticket. And then you have work with some promoters, which you try to weed these ones out, which is, hey, I bought the band. I'm going to put up a poster, their name on the marquee and take some Facebook ads out and hope that thousands of people show up. That's not the definition of a promoter, right? You know, we could do that ourselves, right? Yeah. The reason why the promoter gets a piece of the pie is their job description is to promote the show and their reward for promoting the show is the upside of the show. Right. That's, that, that's, that's the true. risk business that they're in. You asked me a question earlier, have I ever promoted a show? No, because I never had that tolerance. I never had the tolerance to go and, and, and do that. And I'm very open about that. However, I'm also an agent that I will, I will on the regular basis with somebody go, I don't think this is gonna work. And if you're gonna do it anyway, Let's have a conversation about, but I don't think this is going to work. And here's the reason why, or I think your ticket price is too low for what the band is worth in that market. So therefore we're going to say no. Well, we've met the offer that you've asked for whatever amount of thousands or millions of dollars it is. But if it doesn't help the band or the artist in that market moving forward, you have to think about that, right? If you're worth 40 to $60 a ticket and then go play a show, a soft ticket show where everybody's let in for free one time for more money, how do you then go back and expect those same yeah. core fans to pay $35 18, 24 months later? That's something that you have to decide in that moment. And an agent just has to have that experience and, and have had those those mistakes along the way to yeah. say, you know, oh, well, that didn't work the last time. So you And then you back really to your hub. Talking. Then you go to the manager yeah. and say, hey, listen, we can make three times what we normally make to play this event, but we likely can't play that market in the same way that we normally do moving forward then the conversation takes place with the band or the or the or the decision makers yeah. in the band and you come back and you make a collaborative decision it can be complicated sometimes it's very can, complicated yeah. you know and then you have artists that that don't need to work don't in some cases don't yeah. want to work and they're only uh, uh, you know it's like the million dollar man the wrestler from the 80s everybody's got a price you know with the exception of a few everybody does have a price oh yeah. i don't do this there's normally an amount of money that will change that. Right. Um, but for working bands, and again, I not to get too granular, just because a, a band is playing an arena every night doesn't mean that that's not a working band. There are large expenses that go into yeah, right. performances, right? You know, gas prices go up, fuel prices go up, um, you know, insurance rates go up. Well, you're making decisions sometimes a year, a year and a half down the road and you're locking in deals and then all of a sudden, you know, be an example of uh, next summer for all the shows that we have locked in, well, if, if gas was $7 a gallon, well, we're not on the right side of that. Yeah, doesn't right, mean that right. we lose money, but it means that there, there has to be a yeah, different right. flow to that. Wow, interesting. I heard a story, um, our manager that we had uh, years ago, he was talking about that um, he represented James Taylor. And again, he's the manager, the hub of the of the wheel. And uh, went to James Taylor, and there was a client, and I think it was like a private party or something. They wanted uh, to book James Taylor for Fourth of July show, and James Taylor said, "No, I really want to be with my family. We got in laws coming over, and it's kind of we've already got plans." So they came back to the client, said, "He, you know, well, what if we uh, offer more money?" And they so they kept the money kept going up and up and up and up. Like you said, everybody's got a price. Yeah, it. I think it got up to over a million dollars. It started out a couple hundred thousand, then it was like five hundred thousand, then it was at seven fifty, and he kept said, "No, you know, really, it's important that we have this family thing." And then finally, it got to like a million or something like that. And uh, finally, James Taylor said, "Okay, but we have to work it in where all the family and everybody can come along. If we could still have our family get together, but we will do the show." And yeah. it's just like you said, everybody's got their price. Yeah, and 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 there's also an ego to it. Like, oh, you'll pay what for me to do what? You know, like, I, th I think that exists. Yeah. I've not been on the receiving end of that because, you know, th th those are 
those are, are deals that I've brought to the table. And I have those, those circumstances where, um, you know, and I, I will say this about your band, like family's really important, you know, yeah. um, the year before COVID, you know, you guys always take those, those certain weeks off a year that you all agree that this is when you're going to go visit family and you're going to do family vacations. Yeah. And I think it was the first year that we worked together. And I think I brought seven offers during that time and one gigantic offer that was like 200 miles from Nashville. And it was still turned down. And I, I, you know, I love the fact that it was turned down um, because there is a family aspect of this. And you bring yeah. it up in a, such a great way. We don't think of performers that they have lives and yeah. responsibilities. We think of them as the people that we either see on the Internet or watch on stage. Like you hit a button and they play. Hit, hit they, a button and yeah. they play. But, you know, they can get a cold. They can have a bad day. They can have a sibling that gets sick. Everything that goes on in everybody's life goes on in yours. Um, but you're expected for 90 minutes a night to just go up there and, and do your job. Um, there's very little calling in sick um, in, in this line of work. And so there, there are all these dynamics that go into it that I think make this business really special. Right. Yeah. But I, I, I do love that. You know, it was the first year that we were working together and it was a number that, you know, I have not brought you since, you know, yeah. uh, and it, they just wanted the band so bad. But the reality was family time was booked yeah. and 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 maybe there would have been a number. Maybe yeah. maybe there would have been a James Taylor number that made everybody go, you know what? We're going to go on vacation a little later. <laughs> um, but the reality is that I, I that's where I really I really I felt the community and family of what yeah. your band is. Um, and, you know, we're here at the cave and so many things have gone on here where you guys really are a brotherhood, you know, the, 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 and, I, and I really enjoy that. What do you think it is about Lone Star, in your opinion, if I wasn't sitting here uh, and, and you're not selling somebody to a client, you're just having a beer with somebody talking yeah. about it. What is it about Lone Star, the show, the the, the, the vibe as a band, the history, everything that, that sort of makes us uh, where people would pay 50 or more to a ticket to come see us? Well, I think you are the quintessential. They do that song, band? They do that song? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness, right, they okay. do that song? Oh, yeah. that song. You know, the, the same thing that is the greatest strength of the band, which I would say would be Amazed and Lonely Grill and the, the great success that came from that time when I wasn't working with you guys, you know, you also have such success that some people can forget that there are other things or not even know. And I think that to me is you guys can play for 90 minutes and not play a single song that wasn't a hit. Wow. And then you bring a, a value of musicianship and a value of production and then a value of entertainment. You know, I think I think it's a unique band in the sense that through the transition of, of lead singers, you know, D Dean really fronts the band, mm -hmm. not in a bad way. He's very jovial and he communicates great with an audience. And I think the dynamic that, that you all have right now, mind you, I wasn't there for the first, you know, 25 years or 24 years, but the dynamic that you have right now with Drew and everybody in the band, I, I just think is phenomenal where all those pieces and all those checks go into the same box. Um, but, but if I had to go back to one thing, you're the band that, and that's why we did that great promotional video this year is, and everybody responds the same way because yeah. we listed them all out. And these are videos that go out to like potential promoters, you know, that might be looking at a hundred artists, you yeah, know, in right. a price range or whatever. And we set a promotional material and, and, you know, Dean's son came out and filmed the whole great weekend and put it together. And the beauty part of it for me is that I get it now from promoters, not just fans. Oh, I forgot about that song. I forgot yeah, about right. that song. And, and, and I think that's the ticket uh, with you guys specifically is, you know, you're known for one or two monster hits, but you have a catalog that yeah. without those monster hits, is still 90 minutes. You know, I had the but. same, I had the same reaction when I saw, um, uh, Night Ranger, uh, recently, you know, when I say recently, I mean like in the last two years or so, like before COVID, we sure. saw them, we were doing a show with them. We were opening up and they were closing the show. And then they would do this song that I like, when you close your eyes, when you close your eyes, that song, yeah. uh, you could still rock in America. Like yeah, everybody remembers sister Christian yeah. and maybe one other, but, uh, but man, I tell you, Wow. It was like one hit after another hit. I forgot about that song. Yeah. Oh, there was that song too. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, th and I think, you know, 
there are a few, but not many, but you are that band in this genre. You know, when you look at the wall that I'm looking at behind you, you know, it's platinum record after platinum record after number one, after top 10, after number one, after top five, it's right there on that wall, you know, but when you bring up the band Lone Star to a, 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 a sidelined country music fan, they go, oh yeah, amazed. Uh, right, or, yeah. or or I'm already there, or right, you know yeah. maybe front porch looking in. Yeah, right. But when you get deep into you know even tequila talking, yeah. you know, and go back to you know which no was news, huge, which no, was our no, first number yeah, one, no you news. know, that we ever had. But then in the yeah. middle, when you've got all of those monster songs yeah. that again are eclipsed because the greatest success on the charts is Amazed. But if you take Amazed out, you still have a yeah. above standard recording career. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we do our Amazed, one of the last songs that we do on the encore. And then it seems like nobody's, you know, hurting for it. Nobody, you know, we're not missing anything. But then it's that little icing on the cake at the end. When and we what do. a privilege, right? Right, a privilege. And not all bands are able to do it where you can go out there and play 90 minutes of recognizable material and then play your biggest hit at the end and yeah. not have people going, I had to wait around all that time yeah. to hear that. No, it <laughs> right, never happens yeah. that way. And I've all seen right. how many shows now, 20 or, or, yeah. or more. And, and there's never a disappointment when it comes because they've been entertained that whole set through. Wow. Well, I, I could go on and on. I have a, a billion questions to ask because I'm always interested in uh, parts of the music business that I am curious about, that I am not plugged into, but I'm in somehow or way or another, I, you know, it's part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always good to talk to people like yourself that really know what they're doing and they have a passion for what they do. And, uh, you know, one of my podcasts was with an entertainment attorney. I learned so much just sitting down talking to him and learning all about things that I never knew about and ask, answering questions that, that uh, I was curious about personally. And so I could sit here and ask you a thousand questions all day. But um, Well, you, uh, let, for, for a second, let's go back. So what would be m- more advice to a young musician? Yeah, right. Well, maybe you just answered that yourself. You've been doing this for 40 years, and you're still learning. Yeah, right. right? And why? You're learning because you're asking questions. Now, it's your podcast, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure at some point in time you go, man, I wish I started this earlier because yeah. we, always, we always need to be learning. And I think that might be another thing. It's like, I don't know it all. For sure, I don't know it all. I don't think anybody that does what I do knows it all. Um, but we're always learning. We're always trying to figure out, you know, um, through that. And I, I, I'm trying to remember somebody... Um, Oh, it was that um, uh, Ted Lasso. Have you watched that? Yeah, uh-huh. T- yeah. T- Ted Lasso. And when he did that dart scene where yeah. he's oh, like, yeah. you know, people have always underestimated me yeah. my whole life. And they just never asked any questions. Like, like, you know, did you ever play darts? Well, heck yeah, I played darts. I played darts <laughs> from the time I was a kid till my dad died. And we played every Sunday. And turns out I'm left-handed. And then he just cleans <laughs> the guy's that. clock. There's a great scene. Yeah. But but even watching that show, I was like, you know, we we – we don't do enough of asking questions. And again, I'll go back to those guys that I mentioned, Ralph James, Jack Ross, Steve Herman, you know, the, the, the cement of my early years is being an agent, you know, they always put forward, ask questions. And I really do think we now live in a, in such a digital era where you and I, everybody's expected to know everything. And I, if I, if I can just pat myself on the back for a moment, I'm never afraid to go, I don't know the answer to that. Let me come yeah. back to you. Um, and that comes from being taught that by great mentors and people who care yeah. about you. Uh, but it also, you have to maintain that and be consistent. And I think that's great advice for, for cause I want more. Yeah. I want more out of my career. Yeah. I want more out of, out of my life. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, through conversations and meeting people, you know, how do I, how do I get more out of this short life? And this life is a new time have? for you because you, you have your own company now. Yeah. You're, it's a smaller, smaller uh, uh, entity now. Yeah. I mean, you have fewer people expected to do more and yeah. you can grow from there. And it's really exciting. Like for, for, for me, and I get asked a lot, a lot, would you have done it before? And it's very easy to go, I wish I did this before, but it never would have worked. Right. My time at the agency group and UTA was was what I needed. Yeah. Um, then the departure is what I needed um, at the time. you know. And then COVID happening, all mm-hmm. of those things that kind of played a role into it, I couldn't be happier now. And it's been 
an incredible blessing. Uh, but for a minute, when it when I when I opened it up and it started going so well out of the gate, you can't help but instinctively as a as a human being go, I wish I did this before, and I quickly talked myself out yeah, of that. Yeah, right. Yeah, because it wouldn't have worked. Well, very cool. Well, very awesome talking to you, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you out at our next show and uh, I look seeing to what, well. what awesome gigs you're going to come up with for us in the future. I'm always excited about that. Well, this is a this is a a, a, a great podcast. And you, you ask great questions, and I really hope that the people that are listening to it, um, you know, they take, if not what we've talked about here and what you've talked about with others, but, you know, talk to people, ask questions, ask questions. And, and, and know that you don't know everything, and there is no bad question. I really believe in that. Yeah, the music business is such a big business. I mean, when we talk about the scope of everything involved, you know, like the law, the, uh, the um, agents, you know, uh, drummers, guitar players, uh, studio engineers, everybody. That's why I try to kind of cover the gambit yeah. of, of everybody that, that, that has anything to do with the music business. And one thing I'm finding out is the people close to me, like I had Michael Britt on one of my podcasts. I've known him for, you know, decades. But I learned more about sitting down in the podcast about him asking him just personal questions, things that I wouldn't normally ask him if we were just having a beer. But on the podcast, I learned a lot about him. Uh, and I learned a little bit about you, you know, yeah. and a lot about um, what a booking agent does and well, that, that, how that whole thing works. That's amazing. You know, you spent, you know, 25 plus years in closed quarters yeah, right. with Michael. That's true. Yeah, right? You right. know, buses hotel rooms, backstage yeah. areas, you know, planes. That's, that's an amazing thing, you know? And, and, and again, it's even, uh, it's even giving me more to go and do it more myself, right? Yeah, right. Like I need to ask more questions and I need to talk to people more and, and sit down and, and cause I've, 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 I found this to be really enjoyable. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Well, this has been the designated drummer podcast with Nick Minema and we will talk to you next time. See you. Thank you.